Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. Presented by Kirk Stangy of Stangy Law Firm, PC, with offices in the Midwest. Stangy Law Firm is a family law firm. Now, here's your host, Kirk Stangy. Welcome to Family Law Talk. We have an interesting topic today. The topic is guardian ad litems, getting information to them. And this is based on an article on FamilyLawHeadquarters.com as well. So as a follow-up to the episode, you can go on over to FamilyLawHeadquarters.com and check out the article we have there titled, Ensuring the Guardian Ad Litem Has All the Information. So as a follow-up to the episode today, uh, you can definitely go on over to Family Law Headquarters and check out that article. Uh, lots of good information there as well. So let's go ahead and jump into the topic. Uh, guardian Ad Litems are oftentimes appointed in child custody or parenting time cases. Uh, the guardian ad litem, what they do ultimately is make a recommendation to the court about what's in the best interest of the children. Now, the guardian ad litem is an attorney uh, appointed by the court, and uh, these attorneys go through training, guardian ad litem training, which allows them to be a guardian ad litem. And, of course, uh, the training is going to vary by state and locality in terms of what's required. So if you're interested in uh, finding out about that, definitely talk to an attorney who's licensed and competent to practice law in your jurisdiction, and and certainly they can help give you the information about how an individual becomes a guardian ad litem and what's required from that end. But ultimately, the guardian ad litem is an attorney appointed by the court to represent the children. So the guardian ad litem doesn't represent either of uh, the parents uh, seeking uh, a custody or parenting time judgment from the court. Um, or the parties to the case, if there's uh, 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 parties who are not parents who are seeking custody rights, for example, like a third party who's seeking custody rights. But the guardian ad litem ultimately makes a recommendation to the court in terms of the best interest of the children. Now, um, in a lot of cases, what the guardian ad litem uh, does is try to procure a settlement between the parties. Um, So the hope is that the guardian ad litem uh, can perform an investigation Uh, perhaps meet uh, with the parties to the case, uh, perhaps meet with other individuals out there uh, that have important information in terms of what would be in the best interest of the children. Uh, And, and of course, a guardian ad litem might review records, perhaps school records, uh, perhaps medical records. Uh, In some cases, there could be other records uh, out there as well that ultimately might be relevant in terms of making a determination as to custody. But the hope In a lot of cases, and the hope on the part of the court, I would say in a lot of cases as well, is that uh, the guardian ad litem could perform an investigation, and then uh, they can make uh, informal recommendations to the parties to try to help the parties reach a settlement. Um, If the parties can't reach a settlement, uh, then what ultimately happens uh, in a custody case, and a custody case can come in various varieties, but uh, the two most common varieties would be a divorce, Uh, or perhaps what we call generically as paternity cases, which is custody cases uh, between uh, unmarried parents. Um, But if the parties can't reach a settlement, then generally a trial or a hearing takes place. And at the conclusion of the trial or hearing, the guardian ad litem will make a recommendation to the court. And the guardian ad litem might make this recommendation through testifying in some instances in some courts. Uh, That might be what the court uh, is looking for. And certainly in other courts, uh, the guardian ad litem might submit a formal report of some kind uh, where they give a recommendation 
uh, to the court as well. Uh, and then from there, the court, after the, after the hearing and after the guardian item has made the recommendation, the, the court can accept the guardian item's recommendation. In, in other words, do what the guardian item has proposed or recommended. Or in some cases, uh, the court might deviate uh, from the guardian item's recommendation. In other words, they uh, might diverge from the guardian item uh, based on the evidence submitted, and they might come up with a different uh, conclusion. Um, so, uh, you know, in most cases, uh, at least from my personal experience, uh, the judge does something closer, similar to that as the guardian ad litem, uh, but there are cases uh, where the judge might deviate. They might have a differing opinion in terms of what's in the best interest of the child. But having said all of that, again, the topic is getting information to the guardian ad litem. And truth be told, um, guardian ad litems need information uh, in order to uh, make a recommendation is to the best interest of the children, it's important that they have the information they need in order to engage in a thorough analysis, right? <clears throat> so let's talk about that here a bit. And, of course, you know, let me just say as a preface, uh, different guardian ad litems might have uh, their own pet peeves in terms of what they what they particularly look for, and of course, in certain jurisdictions and different localities, uh, there might be some variance. And of course, um, uh, it's totally true that different fact patterns can cause a guardian ad litem uh, to move in different directions as well. So this isn't necessarily cookie cutter. It isn't necessarily the same in all cases. But in terms of getting the information to the guardian ad litem. Uh, this is really key and critical because obviously being a guardian litem is an easy job. And uh, in some cases, you know, look, the facts uh, can be murky. In other words, both parties could have totally different uh, pictures they're presenting to that guardian litem. They could have totally different viewpoints in terms of what's in the best interest of the children. And so this can be hard for a guardian litem. I mean, how do, how do you uh, 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 at the end of the day, hear differing stories, differing uh, viewpoints in terms of what's in the best interest of the children, and come up with a recommendation. In some cases, the guardian ad litem uh, can ultimately render an opinion that might uh, be close to siding with one parent versus the other. Uh, in some cases, however, the guardian ad litem might have a recommendation that neither party is happy with. Uh, but in terms of getting the information to the guardian ad litem, uh, here's a few tips. And again, uh, different cases are going to call for different things, and certainly different jurisdictions are going to have different protocols and customs. So uh, hear me in saying this isn't uh, necessarily one-size-fits-all and cookie-cutter, but it's really a prefatory matter. I think it's really important for most parties when a guardian ad litem has been appointed uh, to get all the information to their attorney first, right? So if they have documents uh, that they think uh, support uh, uh, the custody or parenting time result uh, that they believe is in the best interest of the children, they should get that to their attorney. If they have other evidence uh, out there as well that they believe uh, supports uh, what it is that they're recommending, it's really critical to get that uh, to their attorney, right? So versus just giving it directly to the guardian ad litem, I think getting that information to the attorney that's been hired to represent that parent, right? Because, again, the guardian ad litem represents the children, not either parent, uh, but most parents have their own attorney. Uh, if they don't have their own attorney, uh, they ought to consider getting one, right? Because going through a custody case is difficult uh, and certainly uh, generally requires counsel. 
but getting that information early to the attorney can be really helpful. And then in most cases, it's really important uh, for the attorney to meet with the client and go through that evidence and go through those documents that might be there, right? And then uh, uh, providing that afterwards by the attorney to the guardian litem can be helpful. So one of the things uh, I think a lot of attorneys do, and I certainly uh, have done it for years, which is send a letter uh, to the guardian ad litem, uh, which briefly uh, uh, states uh, uh, my client's position, what my client's case uh, 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 is, in essence. In other words, what they're requesting from the court. You supply the guardian ad litem all the pleadings, all the court documents that might be out there, and then you supply the guardian ad litem the documents and the evidence uh, that ultimately uh, uh, are helpful to the client's case, right, with a letter of some kind or some kind of correspondence that sort of sums up uh, the situation for the guardian ad litem, and this way the guardian ad litem uh, is able to decipher what, you know, what the client is asking for, why they're asking for it, and in terms of the documents and evidence and pleadings being supplied to them, uh, they're able to uh, uh, really be able to connect the dots and see how it all uh, comes together, right? And so, again, uh, I mean, really the protocol here is court appoints guardian ad litem, uh, uh, usually wise for client to meet attorney, uh, supply to attorney the documents and evidence that they believe is important. Uh, the attorney then writes a letter or some sort of correspondence to the guardian ad litem uh, with the pleadings, with the documents and the evidence outlining the client's position. And then in most cases, uh, what ends up happening is the client uh, ends up meeting the guardian ad litem, right? And again, the protocol and the exact nuance of this can definitely vary uh, by court, uh, by jurisdiction, by guardian ad litem, by the judge, in terms of what might be contained in order. So, again, this isn't necessarily one-size-fits-all and necessarily cookie-cutter, but from my experience, generally, the client meets the guardian ad litem alone. Uh, perhaps the attorney might come in certain instances in certain jurisdictions. So, again, that's something to talk about with your attorney. Uh, but generally, the client comes in and meets the guardian ad litem, and the guardian ad litem is then able to get information uh, directly from the client at this kind of meeting uh, uh, and, and ask any questions that they might have. And then it might be the guardian ad litem uh, wants additional information, uh, and maybe they request it of the client or of the attorney <clears throat> to get them additional information. And so, you know, from there, that's where a lot of these uh, appointments of guardian ad litem sort of begin and how the process sort of culminates, but it's key to get that information to the guardian ad litem. Otherwise, uh, it's hard for the guardian ad litem to make uh, a good, thorough recommendation, right? And, and if the guardian ad litem doesn't know about uh, certain uh, concerns that a parent might have, it's really uh, almost impossible for them to then look into them because they don't even know they're out there that they exist. Um, so uh, really important to get that information to the guardian ad litem. Of course, another important conversation that needs to take place in most instances is uh, uh, the client uh, talking to their attorney about how that guardian ad litem uh, meeting might take place. Uh, and I think that can give a lot of clients uh, some comfort <clears throat> because for a lot of clients, they're not used to uh, these kinds of meetings, meeting a guardian ad litem. Uh, in this kind of circumstance, and it can be stressful, it can cause anxiety. And so uh, sitting down with the attorney and talking about uh, how this meeting might go and what kinds of questions they might be asked uh, is really, really important. And, of course, you know, in saying that as well, it's vital that any party who's meeting with a guardian ad litem, you know, start and end with telling the truth, 
right? Telling the truth is really critical and key and really leads to credibility with a guardian ad litem. And that means, you know, sharing uh, uh, all the information in a fair, accurate, and truthful manner. Uh, certainly guardian ad litems uh, are going to appreciate that. And certainly uh, if, a, if a party on the flip end isn't truthful and candid and the guardian ad litem later discovers that what the client told them uh, wasn't truthful and honest, right, that can really have a negative impact on a guardian ad litem's recommendation. So really key to be truthful there as well. Um, but again, that's really the topic. Obviously, guardian ad litem is important in custody cases uh, when, they're import, uh, when they're appointed by the court. It's really important uh, that the guardian ad litem have all the information uh, to make a thorough investigation as to the best interest of the children. So um, if uh, you're going through a custody case, if you're going through a parenting time case, as it's called in some jurisdictions, uh, it's definitely important to keep all these things in mind, and certainly uh, it's important to make sure the guardian ad litem has the information they need uh, to make a proper recommendation. Uh, as a follow-up to the episode, again, go on over to familylawheadquarters.com. Uh, check out the article we have uh, there titled, Ensuring the Guardian ad litem has the information. Uh, thanks for tuning in today, and stay tuned to our next episode coming up on Family Law Talk. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Family Law Talk with Kirk Stange. Visit StangeLawFirm.com for more about today's topic or to put Stange Law Firm to work for your family today. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri or Illinois reviews or approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The information you obtain on this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be legal advice. You should contact an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. We invite you to contact us and welcome your calls, letters, and electronic mail. Contacting us does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please do not send any confidential information to us until such time as an attorney-client relationship has been established. And finally, past results afford no guarantee of future results, and every case is different and must be judged on its own merits. Kirk Stange is responsible for the content. Principal Place of Business, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450, Clayton, Missouri, 63105. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.